0: Remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today's text is Hebrews 13:1-6. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? May the hearers of God's word be blessed. Good morning. For those of us that uh, struggle with uh, seeing God alive and active in our lives, let me uh, pose this to you. Our subject this morning is sex. The man in front of you talking about it is the father of a 13-year-old daughter, and she is in audience this morning. Divine providence at work. A little scary, right? All right. So let's go back and, and see what, where we've been led through this series on marriage so far. Um, we've already had two sermons on it that Rich has, has tried to lay out the lies that the devil, that the world tells us about marriage and presented us with the truth of the gospel in how it counteracts those lies. First, uh, although the world believes that marriage is designed to satisfy my desire to be loved, accepted, and cherished, Rich showed us that God's design is for marriage to bring him glory. Together, both male and female in the union of marriage represent God in a unique way. And that union represents God's unwavering love for his church. Also, Rich showed us the careless way in the, world, the world treats uh, the covenantal promise of marriage that uh, we make these vows when we say "Until in sickness and health until death do us part and then when when things get a little sour for less than a hundred bucks we can throw that vow in the garbage. But God is the creator of the truly happily ever after marriage and that glorifies him and his covenantal promise. So As the lies of selfish satisfaction and careless convenience have been exposed by the gospel truth, my prayer is that today that the lie that sex is an avenue to fulfill lust and self-driven pleasure is exposed in the light of the truth that a happily ever after marriage sees sex as an intimate and unique way to enjoy God and to love your spouse. Let's pray. God, we just ask now that your Holy Spirit come amongst your people and move us to hear your truth, Lord, that uh, our hearts, our eyes, our ears would be open to what it is you have to say to us. Help us to understand that the gift of sex, sex is a blessing and a blessing within marriage, Lord. We pray now for marriages to be strengthened and restored through the power of the gospel, Lord. Uh, Just may your spirit be at work here, not my words, not my selfish ambition, Lord, but you be at work in this, Lord. Amen. All right, so we begin today with the text of Hebrews 13.4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Since this is the 13th chapter of Hebrews, there's a lot before we get to this point, so let's play catch up real quick. Uh, Hebrews was written mainly to to Jewish Christians. Uh, These people were well versed in the Old Testament laws and regulations, Uh, they knew their theology. So, 11 chapters of Hebrews are spent on doctrinal issues comparing and contrasting the, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, right? So you have the Mosaic Law, the Mosaic Covenant, compared with that what Christ has done. So 11 chapters of that, and then chapter 12 gives some general uh, exhortations, right? So uh, in chapter 12, you're, we're told to run the race with endurance. So he's he's giving us a goal to reach, and know that it's it's not a short process, that this is something is going to be lifelong, right? And then chapter 13, we get into more specifics. Uh, and, and we're going to cover one of those today. So that's kind of where we are. And just to, so to help you kind of wrap your minds around real quick about what Hebrews is, is, is doing is, uh, John MacArthur in his commentary said, in regards to the overarching theme of Hebrews, here's the whole summary of Hebrews in one sentence. Ours is the high priest of priests, and he is seated. His work is done, completely finished, for all time and for us. So we know now that the work is done, that the work of Christ has accomplished its goals, and we don't have to worry about that. So then in the verse, we're told, firstly, that marriage is to be held in honor among all. Uh, just in case it's a little confusing, I know the wording can be a little tricky there. When, when they say among all there, the, the author of Hebrews means all, right? Every one of us, right? Uh, so that means sons and daughters, you're to, to honor marriage, right? Husbands and wives, you're to honor marriage. Fathers and mothers, you are to honor marriage, I think that covers every possibility we have. Everyone's either a son, daughter, father, or mother, husband, or wife, right? All right. So, why do we honor marriage? Um, if you've been paying attention to the series, I think uh, it's already been told a few ways. Marriage uniquely displays God's unwavering love for His church, right? And because honoring the covenantal promise brings glory to God, and there's one thing. Uh, If you don't know that, Mackenzie, why are we here? To bring glory to God, right? That's something that that we struggle with when we want to find the meaning of life, right? Or why am I here? Well, it's simple that we're here to glorify God. So why are our marriages here? To glorify God. When you look back um, at Jesus, his first miracle was what? Water into wine. Where did that happen? At a wedding, wedding, right? Why didn't Jesus pick um, a much more dramatic public place, maybe in in the public square or in the market? Why was it a wedding? Uh, Jesus honored marriage by beginning his ministry at the same time a young couple was beginning their journey as husband and wife. So it's very clear for us to honor marriage. So how do we go about doing that? How do we honor marriage? Well, today, we're going to be pretty specific in ways we honor marriage, and those specific ways have to do with sex. So we, we begin now with the rest of the text. So we are to honor marriage, and then we let the marriage bed be undefiled. Undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So, I hate to break the news to all of you right, right now. Um, if you didn't know this, sex is nothing new. Sexual sins are not new. I know we like to think that in, in our modern age, with, with the newfangled interwebs and all that technology, that that we have this huge epidemic, but... Sex has been around. Uh, Show me a culture that, show me a culture, show me a civilization that didn't have sex. Anybody think of one? No, because they didn't survive, right? Uh, Just to go back that that the sin of sex is nothing new for the church. In uh, 1958, C.S. Lewis uh, conducted some radio talks. Those were turned into a book in 1960 that became The Four Loves. These talks that C.S. Lewis did were criticized because they were being too frank about the subject, right? C.S. Lewis said this, we use a most unfortunate idiom when we say of a lustful man prowling the streets that he wants a woman. He wants a pleasure for which a woman happens to be the necessary piece of apparatus. So looking back in the late 50s, early 60s, it's the same problem we have now. That we, we treat women as an object, right? Just a few years before C.S. Lewis, there's a man named Solomon. I don't know if you've heard of him. But he wrote an ode to love. It includes some flattering images of sex. The physical act of sex are in, in the book, uh, Song of Solomon, right? But in that, even Solomon gave this warning. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So as before this book goes on to to enjoy, a husband and wife enjoy one another, the warning is there not to stir it up before the time is right, before the marriage, right? So if this isn't, A new conversation that, that since sex has been around, why is it that the church lets the world lead the conversation? Why has the church for so many years decided to be ashamed of a gift of God? To not speak of it truthfully, but to to make people feel bad. And that's kind of just, I don't know why. And and I want to let you guys know, that we will speak the truth openly and without shame. So that allows us to stand up here in front of your 13-year-old daughter to talk about sex. Sorry, babe. (laughs) So let's talk about sex. Let's ask ourselves, do we believe in lust or love? Lust, as defined by Webster's, is defined as a strong feeling of sexual desire. But we're going to add to that. It's a strong feeling that manifests itself as sin. So when we we mention lust, when we talk about this, it's not the natural God-given tendency to to be curious or to feel desire. But it's, it's where you let your heart take that desire, right? When it builds into sin. Love then we will define today as a desire that manifests as glory to God. Right? So lust brings about the shame. Lust brings about the sin, the death. Love brings about glory to God. And why we are here is to glorify him. So, we see in the text that God is going to judge two types, right? That God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So, we know that according to 1 Corinthians, sexual sin violates three parties it's a violation against God, it's a violation against the partner, and it's a violation against yourself. When you sin, uh, sexual sin is a sin against your own body. Because the two become one flesh, it's a special kind of violation that happens. So the Bible does use strong language in regards to sexual sin. So we have these two groups that are being talked to, the sexually immoral. The, the same word there, um, the Greek word there is pornias. And if, if you don't catch that real quick, it's pornias. So obviously the root word is a big problem in, in today. It's the root word for pornography, right? And that those are the sexually immoral, the pornaya, are those who commit sins uh, outside of marriage, right? So if you are single and you commit sexual sin, you are sexually immoral. The second group addressed here are the adulterous. So if we have those who commit sin, commit sexual sin. Outside of marriage, the the adulterous are those who commit sexual sin within marriage. That would be extramarital, right? So, for both groups, both the sexually immoral, the singles, and the adulterous, the married couples, what brings about defilement to the marriage bed? Well, the first thing would be sex, sexual intercourse actions um it includes all shapes and forms of sex and I know I don't I grew up uh the uh the cool thing was to say oh I'll never do this but I'll allow this to happen right and so we we put these degrees on it and if we're going by the definition that lust is where our heart is right it those degrees aren't there guys sex is sex um whether it's fondling, whether it's other ways you go about without actual intercourse, sex is sex, and don't let the world lie to you that it isn't. Um, the other thing there is that we allow our thoughts, t- um, defilement of the marriage bid is when we allow our thoughts turn to lust. Uh, again, the initial attraction is okay. That's why we get married, right? That it's not... Well, in our culture, uh, we get married because we meet a girl, and we like her, and we ask her to go on a date, and she says, well, maybe, and you're like, oh, come on, you know. Uh, <laughs> maybe it happens differently for other people. I was never that smooth. <laughs> but uh, that, that, that's because of that attraction, you see something that you like in that, and that's okay. But in that attraction, what are you focusing on? Men, where do you allow your thoughts to go before you ask that girl out? Or as you're asking her out, what are your thoughts of of the future you have with her? If you're focusing on, on the pleasure she can bring you, when you see her naked body, when you get to touch things, that's sinful. When you see her as this has potential, that God is either showing me what I am looking for in a wife or potentially could be my wife, that's okay. So for that's for both groups. Uh, kind of break it out. For single people, how can you defile the marriage bed? Again, I mean, a lot of this stuff applies to both groups, right? But single people abstain, right? <laughs> I mean, sex defiles the marriage bed. Um, you do become something that you were not before when you have sex. And so for you to have sex outside of marriage, get married without seeking the forgiveness of Christ, you actually, you have this committed to people, help them to commit adultery by having sex outside of marriage and then bringing that into another marriage with another person. there's a lie that the world loves to tell, tell us, and, and single people are the ones that are in the, the fight in the midst of that. That lie is that, that sex is okay because sex is natural, right? I mean, it's okay to do what the body feels. It's okay to indulge in that. Look at the animals. They don't get married. They just go where they want, right? I hate that argument because, yes, the animals go where they want, and that includes everything, right? I like to use the bathroom and not drink from it. My dog doesn't, isn't so picky, right? Um, the truth that God says about that, that, that sex is natural, the truth about that is that sex is natural. And by that, that sex is a gift from God. And so it is within us, right? The desire for sex is within us as a gift from God. And as a gift from God, it should be treated as such. Sex should be honored. Men, you can control yourself, right? You don't have to uh, believe some of the lies that people say. There's uh, The the things that were told to my mother that I found out uh, after we got married from from cousins, how, uh, what was the phrase? No one's going to buy the cow without trying the milk first. The other one is the take a test drive. All those are lies, guys. It's, it's not true. You don't have to try sex out to find out if you like it with this one person. Because if God has brought two people together, guess what? When you have sex, it's going to be good. It's a gift from God, and it's a good gift, right? You don't need to pollute your mind, pollute your... Uh, your heart with going out there and trying things out before you buy them. Uh, Men, if you are dealing with this stuff, married men, single men, if you're dealing with pornography, if you're dealing with extramarital affairs, pray to God, let him give you the strength because you cannot overcome this by yourself. join your or get in with your small group be open and honest with the men in your small group because that's what they're there for we know that we can't do this on our own we know that god has not called us to a life of loneliness we're not called to be hermits so be in community with other christians be open and honest ladies You don't have to give in. Uh, To give in to to the constant pressure to have sex is not loving whoever it is that you think you love. You're helping them to give in to sin by doing so. Uh, Ladies, use your small groups Again, we're not doing this alone. Um, the reason the small groups are separated as they are is because men and women are different. They face different issues, different pressures. So please, talk to the ladies in your women's group. Be open and honest. Married people. How do we defile the marriage bed? Um, if you're like me, your marriage night is something uh, that is amazing and, and just incomprehensible until you've experienced it, right? But the downside to us being fallen and sinful is that all those desires and, and, and pressures that you felt before you were married are still there after you're married. It doesn't ease things up like, like maybe you thought they would. Right? Uh, So married people can still defile the marriage bed. And even it doesn't mean uh, extramarital affairs, right? What did Christ say? You've heard it said that it's a sin to commit adultery. But I tell you this, if you look at another woman and have sexual thoughts about that, I'm paraphrasing, have sexual thoughts about that woman. You've committed adultery with that woman. Right? So wives, you can defile your own marriage bed. Uh, If you use sex for manipulation, if uh, you withhold or please based on what you can get from it, you are defiling your marriage bed, right? If uh, you deny your husband sex because you're not interested or you're not feeling it, you can defile your marriage bed from that. That's not saying, uh, just not tonight, honey, I've got a headache. That's an ongoing, consistent, no, because I'm not interested in you. No, I don't, I don't look at you that way. That's a defilement of your marriage bed. Husbands, you can defile your marriage bed uh, through fantasy. What does that mean? What is fantasy? Fantasy is where your mind takes, takes it out of the context, right? How is that done? Pornography. How is that done? If you let your mind wander to other women during the act, That's the lustful thought that you're committing with that other person, right? Um, For husbands and wives, when you allow work, relationships, hobbies to replace the intimacy you have with your husband or wife, you're defiling your marriage bed. You don't go and work, well, oh, I mean, it doesn't apply to me, but you don't go work into your garage on your hobby, woodworking or whatever it may be, right? You're there, you go to spend time with your wife. It takes effort. Wives, you don't uh, go out to your with girlfriends and, and, I don't know, Tupperware parties or something like that. I don't even know what's cool anymore. <laughs> I'm sure it's different now. <laughs> right? But... It's where our hearts are, guys, right? Your heart should be for your husband, your heart should be for your wife. And in that should seek to glorify God. Married couples, you honor marriage by sacrificially giving pleasure to one another. First Corinthians seven, three through five. The husband should get to give to his wife her conjugal rights. Now, did you guys catch that? Husbands, your, wife, your, your body does not belong to you. It belongs to your wife. Wives, your body does not belong to you. It belongs to your husband. And that doesn't mean you get to go abuse that privilege. But I think John Piper said, said it well uh, in a sermon using the same text. He, ha- he said, the goal is to outdo one another in giving what the other wants. Both of you make it your aim to satisfy each other as fully as possible. When a husband and wife come together in the marriage bed, the goal is the intimacy it creates, right? The goal is that you satisfy her, that she satisfies you, and in that, your bond is closer than it was before. In coming up with this message, I struggled. Uh, This series, I've struggled with. It's not that I disagree with the truth that God is giving us, it's not that that I disagree or think that Rich has done uh, God's Word injustice. I struggle with this because I am a sinner. I've defiled my marriage bed. I caused the woman I love, the gift God gave me, pain. Because I let lust take over and in privacy sinned against her and I sinned against God and I sinned against myself. If you grew up in the church like I have, uh, you've heard plenty about uh, the bad side of sex In the uh, late '80s, early '90s, '90s, it was very common to hear how wrong sex is, how uh, ashamed you could be, and in my experience, they never really brought about the the power of the gospel in that. Right? And probably this morning, I'm a little guilty myself of doing the same thing. we talk about what defiles. We talk about the sin we commit in that. And through preparing this message, like God has redeemed me in that. Um, the struggles that Jody and I have gone through because of my sin have strengthened us, made us stronger, made me realize... Uh, how God works in our lives, how alive and moving Christ is today. The power of the gospel in this is that, that we know that each and every one of us has brought defilement to our marriage bad guys. And I mean that, that scripture where Jesus tells us if you think about these things in such a way, I don't know anybody who, who hasn't thought and committed sin, Right? But that's also the man who said that. Jesus Christ is also the same man who got up on the cross, right, knowing it was going to cause pain and anguish and said, Andrew, I do this for you, right? I know that that there's going to be a time where you fall flat on your face and I know that you're going to need redemption So I give this to you. Know that the blood and the work of Christ overcomes all of that guilt and that shame that we can hold our heads up high, that I can stand up here, knowing the sins I've committed in my life, I can stand up here in front of you saying these things I'm saying this morning. Is the blood, the work of Christ at work in my life, at work in your lives. Sex is the most intimate way to know someone physically, right? And this is the struggle I had. How how does me having sex glorify God? If you feel that guilt and shame, that's all you can think about. But know that at one time, all of us were sluts, were whores, were tramps. But now, for those who Christ has brought into his redeeming love, we're the bride of Christ, guys. So, sex is the most intimate way you can know someone physically. And that groom, he wants to be intimate with his bride. And that intimacy brings glory to God. The intimacy we feel from the sex act is but a shadow of the real intimacy. Christ has in store for his church, for his bride. So we'll have the band come up now. Lead us in a a few songs of praise.